Cook Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range podcast studio getting ready to record episode number 142. want to say good morning to our Facebook Live listeners. We've got a really good show lined up for you today. Our shout-out segment uh, is going to include our typical uh, equipment tip of the week. Uh, we've got a really good did you know, another really good listener question, and of course, Paige's power play. In our lead-off topic, we're going to be talking about a uh, something that Coach Don and I have talked about in the past that uh, I just read an article about that I want us to talk about. That's the uh, impact of being the younger sibling and the family impact of having uh, older brothers and sisters that have been athletes and the role that it plays in the development of some of our softball players. In our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about uh, body language and uh, how body language is uh, one of the most impactful things uh, that goes on within team chemistry and how it's important for coaches, players, and parents to be paying attention to that. And then our coaching tip of the week is going to talk about coaches avoiding the trap of coaching every player the same and trying to, uh, I guess, carbon copy uh, the, the players that they work with. So we've got a really good show lined up for you. It will uh, drop on uh, Wednesday, December 16th, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to listen to the full podcast when we get there. And uh, before we go into recording, I just wanted to do a quick little personal note. Uh, a good friend of mine passed away yesterday. His name is Keith Byers, and Keith is a softball coach, softball dad. One of his daughter, uh, Emily, is one of my players that uh, I've worked with now for several years. Keith's one of those guys who's been very, very involved with coaching and uh, also with uh, running one of the local parks here that uh, a lot of us have used uh, to practice and play at. Very sudden thing, very sorry for the loss and want to just uh, keep the Byers family in our prayers and uh, say, uh, rest in peace, Coach Keith. We will miss you. So Don, episode number 142. Before we get into the meat, meat and potatoes of the episode, let's talk about our sponsors. First off, let's talk about Cleat It Up. Cleat It Up FP um, is the communication tool we want you to use to solve all your communication challenges within your team. Go to cleatitup.com. Got a great uh, array of tools for you to use for uh, communication within your team, within your organization, and then also sharing uh, the social media aspect of uh, uh, stuff that your team is accomplishing. Also want to talk about Patreon. Patreon.com is your chance to help support Everything Fast Pitch and Coach Prep. Go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch and all the options will be explained to you. Coach Don and I have been talking about this now for several months uh, that we decided to go to Patreon as a way to help uh, fund Everything Fast Pitch. Um, there's just an awful lot of expenses and things on our end to keep everything going. Our, our goal is to stay free. We don't want to become a subscription type service. Um, and the best way for that to happen is if you're in a position where you can help us uh, to do so. And uh, we've got two new patrons this week, Jesse Hyatt and Jack Ingram. Thank you both very much for coming on board. We really do appreciate your help and your Absolutely. support. Yes. Our leadoff topic is sponsored by Nexair. Nexair is a Memphis-based industrial gas, medical gas, research gas, welding supply, and safety PPE supplier. With strategically placed retail locations, sales branches, and distribution centers throughout the Southeast, Nexair is never too far away. They maintain centralized product warehouses to serve you better and be more reliable. Through our services, you can receive the products you need when you need them. Our fleet of trucks will get you the gas you need when you need it. If you're interested in any Nexair product or service or just want to talk through your options, please get in touch. Our customer care team at 888-639-2474 will help you find the branch or outside a sales rep in your area. Please reach out to Nexair. They'll take care of all your needs. So Don, our city of the week is Thomaston, Connecticut. Um, every week we talk about a city that has a jump in the numbers where the uh, 
uh, percentages uh, increase, and we're obviously a, a lot more people are listening to everything Fast Pitch. And uh, we do appreciate all of our listeners who are helping us grow, helping us uh, get the word out to more and more people. Um, and, and as we've mentioned many times, um, every time we see a jump like this, we typically know that an organization or a group has been got, sharing and has gotten on board with the idea. So um, if you uh, have the ability to share the information, if there's somebody that you uh, are on a team with or somebody that you know that's a fast pitch person that is not listening, uh, convince them to give everything fast pitch a shot. It's available every place where podcasts are available. Um, and uh, we certainly would appreciate uh, the listeners. Our player of the week, Don, we're taking a pass on. Um, we're going to pause that until 2021. So for our listeners, those of you that have players that you would like to nominate, uh, we will start again uh, after the first of the year. And uh, we're also always looking for players that have accomplished things in the classroom, in the community, uh, people that are interested in getting involved with uh, helping us recognize those players. We certainly would uh, appreciate it. You can reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. So Don, our equipment tip of the week, the Square Cuts training disc. We've been talking about it for a couple of months. They are in the United States. Everybody's got to have them. But they're not quite here in Georgia yet. <laughs> but uh, we're hopeful that uh, next week we were going to be able to announce the uh, the, the big kickoff right before Christmas. Um, I don't know that uh, you'll have them in hand for Christmas morning, uh, but we uh, definitely want to get them out as a, as a Christmas-type uh, thought. Um, it's something that Don and I have been working on for a while, um, trying to develop this for the product that we think is going to be a great hitting tool. Um, I've been using them with, uh, within my lessons, and Don's been using them with his um, for well over a year now. And the feedback that we keep getting, response that we get from the kids that use them and the parents that see them is 100% positive. Um, the same thing has been true of the people that have gotten the uh, sample discs and had a chance to use them. And so we're very excited about that. We will have more information. We're going to be doing some promotions and some discounts for our listeners, um, and then also getting those things out as soon as we get them on, get them here, and get them in our hands. Nice. No, we've been uh, you know hearing times where people are making up new things with these discs too, Tori. Yeah, and it's uh, it's exciting, and I think we're going to continue to see our listeners and people that are using them. Um, coming back with other ideas and more ways to use them than even we had originally thought multi, about. Multi-use, um, yeah. I, I did not anticipate that people were going to be using them for throwing and pitching, but I know that uh, I've had feedback that uh, people like it for that uh, training aspect too. Right. Um, so I think we're really on to something cool here, and uh, we're very, very excited about it. So, Don, did you know we talked last week about records in the NCAA Division One record book that are never going to be broken? Um, we talked about the reasons last week, so Games we don't have played. to necessarily uh, review yep. that every week. But the one I wanted to talk about this week is another player that I was very familiar with as a coach, and that was uh, Lindsey Schutzler, who played at University of Tennessee, uh, the same run of uh, success when Monica Abbott was there. And Lindsey had a, a season that just kind of blew my mind. So for one season, she had 270 at-bats. Wow, she must have been a leadoff leadoff hitter yeah, yeah. on a team that was very strong offensively. So I'm you know, I'm sure she had a lot of four and five and maybe even some six at bat games. Many, yep. Um, unfortunately for her, they probably also had a bunch of run rule games, so she might have gotten one or two more at bats if they hadn't been killing everybody. True, because I know they run ruled us a couple of times. But in that season, she had 270 at bats. So they played 82 games. 82 games. So when we look at it now where uh, the 56 is 56, and then you might play 10 games or so in the regionals and super regionals and college world series, pretty 
safe bet in my mind that uh, nobody's going to catch Lindsey Schutzler for the uh, season record for the number of at-bats. That is a lot. That's fun. Yeah, and, and she was a heck of a player. She was uh, fun to watch. What position did she play? Outfield? Uh, she was a shortstop, I shortstop? believe. Shortstop? But just really, really good player. So, And I wish she would have been playing for us instead of against us, but you know. That's how it goes. That's the way it goes. <laughs> So, Don, our listener question comes to us from uh, Coach Cindy. Cindy's uh, a high school coach in Illinois, and her school district is considering building her her own on-campus softball facility. She's Outstanding. Been, yeah, she's been playing her games at a little city park that's a couple of blocks away from the camp or from their school. Wanted us to offer any suggestions, ideas, things that uh, we might be able to offer uh, for her as she's working on the plans and working with the different people in charge of uh, of getting it done. So um, first off, it's exciting in this day and age, I this time it. with everything that's going on, that a school district is thinking about something Moving like forward. investing yeah. and spending on their softball program. And, and so for Cindy, I know it's exciting for her. For what it's worth, I was involved in from the ground up process of building two fields when I was coaching at UW Parkside and then basically completely rebuilt the field when I was coaching at Tennessee Tech. I know you did a lot there. So I've had my hands in the dirt a little bit and been involved in some of this stuff. First thing I would say, Cindy, is do a little YouTube shopping, do a little Google search. Um, Don't be afraid to look at uh, pictures and plans. And uh, uh, there's a lot of different uh, campuses and college programs that have done like the uh, virtual tour and things like that of their facilities. And kind of go through and put together like your dream wish list. Yeah, your dream scenario, what you would love to have, and start there. Don't don't go in there thinking, well, if they can just give us a little bitty field, we'll be happy. Start off if you've got the uh, enthusiasm of your administration, you've got the uh, support within backing within your your uh, decision makers. Don't be afraid to ask for a lot, and maybe you'll get it. And if you don't get a lot, maybe you'll still get something better than if you go in there with a hat in hand Very kind modest. of attitude. Yeah. To my way of thinking, it always starts off with making sure that we come up with a design and we build a field that's going to play well. So dimensions, size-wise, making sure that we're looking at parameters that uh, that match up with the game. Um, you know, I've seen a few places that have invested in building fields for their softball teams uh, at the college level more than the high school level, but end up building something that doesn't really hold up or they invest money in something that just, you know, two years later, three years later, they wish they had done more. They wish they had done something different. So start off with a footprint, making sure that, you know, the field matches up with what you want it to be. The distance from home plate to the backstops, the distance from home plate to the, to the home run fences, how much foul territory you're going to have so that you've got space for those players to make plays in foul territory. And then the second part of it is the not just the field part of it, but the training part of it. So we want to make sure that we've got some bullpens. We want to have a batting cage. We want to have places uh, around the facility, if possible, where you can do your practices well and, and accomplish all the things that you want to accomplish with as much ease and as much uh, as convenient and, and as efficiently as possible. No, I was going to say, Tori, it's tough for us when uh, when we don't know the, I guess, the landscape to figure out how much we can throw in there, right? But all the things you're mentioning, I think, are really important. And uh, I like the first thing you said was go out and look and see what other people are doing and, um, you know, how we can be efficient with the space. A lot of times the bullpens, if they're not, uh, you know, if they're not inside the playing field, that's ideal. Right. That, that always used to uh, be aggravating when the bullpens were down the uh, out of play line, right? And uh, you'd have to pause a game because a ball would get away, or 
send people down there to guard the the back of the pitcher if they're pitching towards the outfield. But right. you know, not really knowing how much space they have to work with is one of those deals where you know I would like to shoot for everything. Right. You know, dressing room. The kids really get excited about having a place to uh, change and prepare for the game and indoor anything you can do as an indoor hitting facility right. especially, especially up, i'm not sure exactly where north. where she's yeah. located if she's in southern illinois you know that that gives you <laughs> a little bit of hope if More you're window. up in the yeah. um, northern regions uh, you know then the idea of an indoor practice option or or something yeah. that could support something what covered, you're doing too you know um, covered area right and so so thinking about that and again uh, you know not knowing what the budget is obviously is going to give you some parameters but again, I don't think there's anything wrong with going in there with a wish list. You know, cause I, as I said before, I've seen a bunch of places that have spent a bunch of money and then turned around and five years later, you know, torn up or torn down stuff that they spent money on Being disappointed. because they yep. didn't like it after they had done it. You know, I think uh, for those of us that have been around the game for a long time and, and seen a lot of different facilities, you start to see things that really make sense that you love and things that you know you wouldn't do if if you were in charge. I was going to say a couple more pieces on that note, Tori. Uh, make a really hard push for the fundraising right now so that you know, you know, if there are extra things that you want that you might actually be able to make it happen. And then some type of a professional plan. Right. Because water, water is a huge issue for our sport, obviously. Yep. And, uh, and if it can be uh, set up where water is not going to be uh, damaging to playing time and stuff like that. Um, I think we're at a real bonus there. Right. So, well, and one of the good, things, good yeah, preparation. And, yeah. and one of the things that I learned uh, when we built the fields at UW Parkside, and this is something that was really near and dear to me because we had played at uh, uh, Petrifying Springs Park, which is about a quarter of a mile down the road from where our uh, field house was. Pets was a nice little park, had a nice little grandstand. You know, was it, you know was very serviceable. But ha- you know, at that time, you know, more and more people were building softball specific facilities on campus. Um, I was very fortunate that we had a chunk of land out behind the field house that was just kind of sitting there um, that uh, the administration was on board with letting us build the fields, but uh, we basically paid for and did all the work ourselves. We were lucky enough that uh, Case Corporation, you know, a gigantic earth-moving company, was right there in Racine. Cool. So we met with the folks at, at Case and... Uh, you know, they had talked about they do some you know, they training. They do the heavy lifting? Yeah, well, they do some op- operator yeah. training and stuff yeah. like that. Um, at the same time, we got lucky enough that our campus started building a new dorm, so they had tons of dirt they had to get rid of. As that was all unfolding, you know, I, I learned an awful lot about how, how to do it. So we went from you know, an open field that uh, had nothing you know, at all laid out thinking about building a, a field. And as you're mentioning, you know, thinking about the lay of the land, making sure that you've got uh, enough uh, fall that the water runs off the field instead of puddling in places, you know, thinking about if you've got low spots where you need to put drainage in, things like that are, are really important at the beginning because if you do it right in the construction phase, Correct. and so your idea, Don, of getting the professionals involved. So I think for uh, Cindy, you know, my, my, I think your job, number one, is come up with a wish list of everything you want and then present that to the people that are going to be involved and then just thinking about as you're building the field, you know, the right kind of grass, the right kind of drainage, the right kind of infield mix so that the field plays well. You know, different parts of the country, you know, different types yeah, of different, grass grow yeah, well. Yeah. Different parts of the country, they're using different kinds of material. And even now we're starting to see more and more people investing the big money in building a, do the a, turf. a sports turf yeah. facility. And so um, I didn't get the impression that Cindy's... Uh, uh, going to be building an all-turf facility, but if that's something that you'd be interested in, I'd suggest taking a look at that. It's it's probably a quarter of a million dollars-ish just to do it up front, but 
when you know that but five minutes after it stops raining, you get to start playing. Plug and play, yep. Um, and that there is no tur- uh, turfus, there is no diamond no, drive, no there is no tarp to buy. No dragging. Right. So sometimes I think you know that's that's something worth considering too. So Cindy, we're really happy for you that this is happening. Uh, put together the wish list. You know, do some uh, uh, searching and hunting, and and put, come up with everything that you that you would love to have for your kids. So Tori, I'm excited we got this question. I was also going to say, uh, you know, to network. Just to your point about the case, uh, you know, company that can do things. All your parents have contacts and people right. of uh, you know different vendors and different things that can. Uh, you know, sometimes just be excited to be a part of a, you know, a project like that. Right. So I think that networking piece is huge. One other thing. So I've had uh, tons of uh, families that have been involved in high school projects, and many of our listeners are probably doing that. A lot of times it, it takes a little while to get these projects up and running, the funding, all these things. Um, if that's something, a passion of somebody's that has a daughter that's going to be entering high school, I would get involved and start sooner so that right. they can be a part of you know, the end product. A lot of times by the time they're juniors or seniors is kind of when these things come to fruition. And, you know, if they start early, if that's something they're excited about, get going early before you get to that high school and, uh, you know, be a part of it so that your daughter and family can enjoy it, you know, while they're there. Yeah. And there's going to... Takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I think there's two different ways to play it. I think, Cindy, if you're offering to get involved, if you're going to offer to, you know, maybe do some fundraising, um, you know, maybe you're... uh, uh, going to have some sweat equity in the project. I know, you know we had our team laying sod and and yep. picking up rocks and and uh, hanging fence and all that kind of stuff when we built those fields at Parkside. And so I think sometimes that's a, a great way to get people more enthusiastic about helping you get your project done is if you're willing to be you, enthusiastic about getting involved. And then you feel some ownership in it too. Absolutely, right? I love it. Yep. So uh, Cindy, congratulations! Uh, your everything fast pitch T-shirts on the way. So, Don, that leads us into our uh, weekly installment of Paige's Power Play. Hey, everybody. So, this is a fun topic today. What to do when your dad yells at you. And I put dad just because that was, that was kind of what my dad used to do to me. But I want to preface this with I love my dad. <laughs> I love him. I've learned so much from him, and he's helped me a ton. But been there, done that. <laughs> Just like in anything, you guys, we aren't perfect. Sometimes we yell and this is always a really tough situation because underneath all of the emotions and the yelling or the tough conversations, everyone just cares a lot. And that's why the that's why the emotions and everything kind of runs wild. But it still hurts and it's still frustrating in that moment. So here's what you do in this situation. Okay, here's like a, a few different things that you can work on and do um, and take action on because that's what we're all about, right? Take an action. So number one is be respectful. I know it's going to be so hard. Trust me, I know. But ignoring or rolling your eyes or being rude does not help in this situation. Just know from somebody who's already experienced it and you probably experienced it too. Um, number two, listen, but detach the emotions from the message. Like really try your best to separate and hear what the message is without the anger and the frustration and the negativity. Like figure out what you can learn from your dad or your mom's message that they're saying to you, even though they're, they might be yelling at you. Um, number three, know what you can control. Okay. Okay. You can control your reaction, you can control your attitude, 
and you can control your interpretation. If you respond and you're like frustrated and angry and you're pouting and like you're, you're, you're taking it out on the rest of the world, you're holding it on to all day, like we're not getting better. And you're just unhappy and, and that's like, that's not fun. So know that what you can control and take advantage of that. Afterwards, when things are settled down a bit, ask your dad or mom to have a conversation so that you can set a boundary. Um, and I'm going to get into boundaries in just a second. Setting boundaries is crucial because it, it, this is something that we use in relationships. Okay, Boundaries are for our relationships, um, whether that's your coach or your parents or your friends or your teammates or your siblings or boyfriends, girlfriends. All, like in relationships, we should always have boundaries. And a boundary is there to set, when you, when you set a boundary, it's there to protect you and your confidence, okay? So um, here's how you set a boundary. You set up that time to talk about setting the boundary. When, not when, not when it's in the middle of yelling, not when the emotions are running wild, like a good time when everyone's kind of in a neutral um, space. And then you're just going to tell that person what you need from them and why, why you need it. So for example, I need 45 minutes after the game to talk about it so that I can do my own reflection first and then I can share. And you do have to share because you can't just blow your dad off. He wants to be involved. He wants to be a part of it. That's why he's yelling in the first place. Okay, and then um, the third thing is be consistent with it. And I know that that can be difficult because what if that person doesn't follow your boundary? What if the next time they do the same exact thing? And this is likely to happen because we're human and we forget new habits easily, right? We have to be consistent and practice them in order for the habits to stick. So um, just keep reminding that person about the boundaries as nicely as you possibly can. And this is going to create a much better, stronger, enjoyable relationship with your, with your parents. Um, so I want you guys to comment with what boundaries you need to set and what you need from your parents. Um, I can't wait to see how they start to shift your relationship with your parents and make things much better, especially on those car rides home. Um, but keep on keeping on and I will talk to you so soon. Bye. All right, Don. So our lead off topic is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite Sporting Goods is located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678-377-0270. Please reach out to the folks at Elite. You can also contact them at elitesportsorders at yahoo.com. Uh, they can ship to you anywhere in the country, anything that you need. I read a really interesting article, Don, shared it with you, and something that we've talked about in the past is the impact of siblings on the development of athletes. I think we've both been doing this long enough now uh, to have coached the older sister, the younger sister, the middle sister, the, the granddaughter, um, all those different uh, combinations. Part of why I wanted us to talk about it is I read a really interesting article talking about how um, when we look at greatness in athletes, that quite often... The greatest of athletes are the younger siblings in the family. I was excited when you uh, shared that article, Tori. I'm, I didn't really think that deeply about it for for a long time, but I think it's there's a lot to it. Yeah. And there's uh, you know a situation where all of these kids are um, you know able to watch and just kind of absorb things before they actually get to uh, partake. But there, as you're going to talk about here in a minute, there's a lot of different levels to it. Right. Um, in regards to having people around you that are 
more skilled than you are to raise your level, that they're always available, you know, to, uh, to participate or compete against where the older sibling doesn't really have a built-in um, competition model right? Um, and availability. They're always waiting for mom and dad to get home till they can, you know, partake in a, a good, strong practice session, right. but others. So, yeah. yeah. So, it's but nice. the, so yeah. And I think there's two sides to this argument. I think that the article really points to the positive impact that being a younger sibling can have. We're going to do that one first. Yeah. yeah. And then we're also going to talk a little <laughs> bit about how you can have a potentially negative impact. Right. Um, you know, from a shadow younger sibling thing. And so looking at a couple of examples that they talk about in this article, maybe the most absolutely clear cut, greatest tennis player of all time, in my opinion, male, female, anything you want to talk about is Serena Williams. Agreed. Um, Has been dominating since she was, you know, a teenager, continues to dominate into motherhood and into her 30s on the verge of uh, tying and breaking and, and obliterating records, you know, as we talked in our uh, Did You Know section, you know, records that are probably never going to be challenged again yeah. in the future. In her case, you know, Serena's the example that, you know, Venus is the older sister, um, was you know, a little bit better at uh, the outset, was a little bit more successful early on in their professional careers, but then ultimately Serena just blew up and flew right by not only what her sister was capable of doing, but what really every other tennis player was capable of doing. Um, Michael Jordan's a younger brother. And so there's lots of those kinds of examples as we look through sports, you know, whether um, you're a Mike fan or a LeBron fan, either way you look at it, when you talk about the greatest of all time, you know, there's some reasons why being that younger sibling can, can be beneficial. And Don, you touched on one thing, so let's talk about that first. For the kids who are the younger sibling, the, the younger child, You've got three or four different things, I think, that are all working to your advantage. Um, Number one, you mentioned it. You've got that built-in person to play with, to practice with, to compete with on a daily basis. That's usually a little bit stronger, a little bit better. And something about that... A little bit quicker. Yeah, and and so the the advantage that the older child has as we we start that uh, competitive fire burning... Engagement. um, when When we start doing different little things... You know, so the, the older child's got the advantage. They're a little bit more experienced, a little bit more mature, a little bit stronger. And of course, I don't know about most families, but not in not of the mindset to let their little brother or little sister win anything. Well, I, I was the oldest of three. So and and, and how, how how many times did you go into a thing and hey, I'm gonna just uh, go easy today? No, and I but to the training part of it, I could probably coast and not have to put forth 100% to still win. Right. You know, whether it was, uh, you know, playing but football. But you were winning. Or, always. Yeah, you were yeah. winning. You yeah. weren't, weren't going to just say, oh, hey, I'm going to let the, let the little guys win today. Always. Yeah. No, but, but it was easy, right? And, and he, my brother, his name's Ron, he would always have to give 110% yeah. just to have that chance to maybe this be the day, you know, that you get your older brother. Right. In whatever, you know, whether it was playing football or playing basketball, whatever, whatever it might have been, or to hang out with a group of my age friends. He was always having to, you know, excel or, or be up. Again, to this day, he's probably a little bit better than I am at almost everything. Yeah. But his grit, too, and we'll cover these other pieces as you go, but um, his grit and determination, even today, his competitiveness is just, you know, through the roof. So, yeah. yeah. And, and so that, uh, that built-in competitiveness, I think, that comes from competing with somebody who's a little bit older, and obviously because of the nature of the relationship for that younger sibling, you just want to earn your stripes. You want to sure. prove your 
at dinner be able yeah. to say how you yeah, yeah you want you want to be able to prove it you know so, what happened today yeah. yeah so so another thing that uh, you know I think is important in this why it's beneficial to be a younger sibling is if your older sibling is really actively involved in the sport you're being exposed to it at a younger age maybe you're you know sitting in the background while your you know sister's taking a lesson maybe you're sitting in the background while your sister's at practice you're maybe absorbing you're, things yeah, right? you're sitting in the stands while your sister's playing in games and all that stuff i think pays dividends right now um, i'm working with a, a young player blakely stewart and blakely is the younger sister she's um, several years younger her older sister kinley's now a sophomore in college at georgia tech blakely's a 12 year old the thing that's so amazing to me to watch is how high her skill level is, how much more knowledge she has. Just advanced. Yeah. And I really love working with her because even though she's uh, at a younger age, um, because she's a more advanced, more developed player for her age, you know, we get to work on stuff uh, with her sooner, yeah. sooner faster. And I, I think there's an unbelievable payoff for her having spent all that time watching those games when she was very, very little. And then being around as she was becoming a softball player in her own right, still being around the older teams and the older players and seeing what they were capable of doing. No, I think that's uh, very valid. And I've seen it a number of times when there's a big enough age gap between the kids that we train and work with here that the younger ones, of course, they got to be there and they can't necessarily participate when they're really young. Um, but they get to initiate and begin that type of training sooner sometimes than the older ones. Right. Just for logistics. I yeah. mean, it just makes sense for them to jump in and get going. But before they actually do that, they're listening to the instruction that you're giving to the others. And um, whether it's a conscious thing or not, they're absorbing, you know, a lot of that information. You know, I think that time spent is, uh, you know, definitely going to enhance their, their chances to excel. Right. For and, sure. and especially if the older sibling is aspiring to play at a pretty high level. I think it, it would be true no matter what the level is. If, if the older child is uh, you know a rec league all-star and the younger sibling is seeing that level of success, success that yeah. it's still something that they aspire to that, yeah. that, that they're motivated by um, and then I think that there's also the secondary level of benefit for the younger sibling because the parents have learned along the way you know, like in our business in in the lesson business you know when you have a parent who's on their first child you know, they come through and they've got a certain set of expectations or they have certain ideas about what should and shouldn't be done, what can and can't be done, how willing they are to invest, how much time and effort and energy um, they're willing to put forth to help that child um, develop their skills. And in a lot of cases, by the time that second one comes through, now that they're a little bit more uh, aware kind of, of what's going on. They've perfected that. Right. Yeah. And so um, trial and error. And, 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 and I, I've heard this with, with several of the parents that I deal with because, you know, they're on their second or third child coming through the softball world. And like, well, if I only would have known then what I know now, if I only would have been, you know, as, as knowledgeable or as experienced as I am now, how much different the relationship or the success might have been for their older child. Because sure. now they're, they, they know who the better instructors are. They know who the better teams are. They know the how hard to push, when not to push, all those different kinds of things that I think really pays off. So I think, uh, you know, obviously there's some direct payoff in the relationship that the younger sibling has with competing with and watching their older sibling. But I think there's a huge payoff because of the 
uh, fact that the entire family the is much more knowledgeable and, and much more aware of what's going on. And so I think it's probably not that uncommon that uh, maybe an older sibling you know, might find out about lessons when she's 13, 14, 15, right. and parents see, whoa, wow, working with somebody like Coach Don has been great for my daughter. She's really learned a lot. She's really gotten better. And then they all of a sudden look over and they see their eight-year-old daughter sitting on the chair. It's thinking, like, well, how, she how, could be doing it too, and just think how much further along she'll be. No, and then they're like, "Well, how early do you start working with them?" Right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and and I've got uh, you know a, a situation. Now I've got uh, a family that has four daughters, and yeah. the first three are fairly close in age, and then there's one that's about six, seven years younger. And we've already had that discussion with the four-year-old. Well, how old should she be before she starts? Right, and and, and she's it, already started at yeah. home, I'm sure. Right? Well, and and yeah. like when when I'm working with the older ones, you know, she'll sneak over in the other cage and you know be you know, rolling the ball and and doing different things, you know, picking up a tennis ball and bouncing it around and stuff like that. So, you know, even without knowing that she's formally started her training, she's on the go. She's formally started her training, and so then I think that because of that, because the overall atmosphere that the younger child comes up in athletically. They're already in a in a pretty good position, and it's giving them some advantages that maybe the older child didn't have. And I think the the next piece of the puzzle is the amount of time that those younger kids then start spending. And this is again, we'll talk about the the pluses and minuses here a little bit more. To, I'm seeing the younger siblings being much more dedicated and much more in tune with the idea of training because they've seen the success of the older sibling, and now they're a little bit more bought into the idea of it's not just going to happen by accident. I've got to do some work, work hard. For it. Yeah, no, if you work hard, you're going to get some neat things. Um, no, I think there's a lot more to it. I think it's a, a very deep subject for sure, Tori. And I've noticed there's only a few cases that I can think back now that we started talking about this, that the older had excelled or become more of an elite player than, than the younger. Right. It's almost, I mean, it's almost always in my experience now, now that we're talking about it, it's uh, it's it's a good advantage for the for right. the younger. Yeah, and 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 again, we've talked about you know a bunch of the reasons already. You know, the fact that uh, um, that younger sibling has somebody to aspire to, they have somebody to practice with. But I think that you know because there's ten, tends to be this just natural competitiveness between siblings that the younger one has to learn some of the mental game stuff that we talk about all the yeah. time. If they if they want to compete with their older sister in it's anything. Like, it's like, how am I going to do this? Right. And so yeah. they're, they're spending time not just on the physical part of it, but the mental part of it, the, yep. the strategizing, the, the thinking of ways to compete. You know, to it keep was, going toughness. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, and it was really funny to me because uh, what really sparked me wanting to talk about this topic, I have uh, you know, this, the family that has the four daughters, and we were doing a little competitive like target shooting drill um, you know, where you try to you know, hit a line drive and, and hit the ball to a specific target, knock one ball off the tee. And so all three of them, they have their lessons back to back to back. And so when we you know, set up that drill for the first one, who happens to be the oldest one, as soon as, you know, there was something competitive, something that was going to be judged going on, the other two like sat right sparked, up and started paying up. attention. Yeah. And then they thought it was so, you know, so cool when the oldest one you know, had success with the drill the first time and she hit the target and the ball got knocked off the tee. You know, they were cheering for her then and then, uh, um, you know, move the tee back a little bit further, make it a little bit more challenging. And then she got one more and they were still cheering. Um, and then we moved it back a little bit more and then she got the third one and they weren't cheering quite as loudly. Right. Because I think they had started to process in their minds, well, wait a second, we're going to probably get to try this same I'm drill gonna, today. I'm going to have to do this here in a minute. And then you could yeah. see them kind of shifting gears 
And so then uh, they went in age order. It was really funny. And then the second one did well, and uh, then the youngest one. And you could tell she was really thinking about every time you know she was ready to hit the ball in that drill she was taking a split second and like targeting it and zeroing it in and you know she stopped a couple times and kind of got down on one knee and kind of looked to see exactly where the lineup was exactly where she should hit the ball to try to knock it off the tee and so that that the mental game aspect of it the competitiveness in it for them had the third one already looking at what the first two had done and thinking up strategies and ways to do it better and ways to give herself a chance to compete with her older sisters because she wanted to win against them and have success in the drill. You know, thinking just about that example of how in an hour and a half time frame to see the youngest one having the advantage of watching the oldest one do it, do it well, and then starting to think about, well, how can I do it better? And, and how can I can compete? And how can I have a chance to have the same level of success? was really exciting to see. Awesome. But it just really drove home the point about how um, so you know, there's just so many advantages. And so that, uh, um, you know, the physical aspects, I think obviously there's many benefits. The experience aspect, there's many benefits. Uh, the parents' willingness then to probably indulge a little bit more, to spend a little bit more, to, yeah. um, to start a little bit sooner with the younger ones. And then just the competitive mental aspect of it that the younger ones gain from trying to figure out, well, how can I make up for the fact that I'm not as fast, I'm not as strong, I'm not as experienced, but I still want to win. No, I know. I think that's a, it's an exciting topic for yeah. sure. And then the last thing about it, we mentioned it earlier, is that you're having that constant companion, that constant person to compete with. You know, I think that there's a, a lot of benefit in that. You know, uh, unfortunately for a lot of kids, you know, they are sitting waiting for mom and dad to come home and then hoping that mom and dad didn't have too hard of a day or too long of a day. And they're so able to go play yeah, catch. Or so they want to go out in the yard and throw the ball around or set up the tee and, and, and the bonnet and all that kind of stuff. Um, having that uh, built-in competition training, training, training partner part, yeah. is, uh, is, I think, a really good one. So, so there's lots of reasons why I think the younger siblings have advantages. And for our listeners, parents that are trying to map out the uh, strategy for how to help your kids all be successful, I think you know, some of the stuff that we've talked about here are kind of give you some ideas and some things to think about. But I also want us to talk about the flip side of it because I think that um, while there's many, many benefits to being the younger sibling, I think that every once in a while, there's kind of uh, the opposite effect, the, the inverse effect of trying to measure up. And so the example I wanted to use is one that we've talked about a bunch of times, and that's the movie A League of Their Own. Now, I know it's fictitious, but there I think we see the exact opposite. Well, it's yes and no. Part of the story of Dottie and Kit, you know, Dottie's the older, more experienced, best player in the league and Kit's the younger sister trying to get out of her sister's shadow. shadow yeah. So I think that some of what we've talked about with that shadow was so big that uh, it pushed Kit to improve and to compete harder and to try to figure out how to win, but also push, pushed her to the uh, almost the borderline psychotic level of, of the pressure of trying to live up to what her sister had done. And I think that's a danger that we just have to be aware of too. Yeah, I think you got to manage and and at least be conscious of, you know, the emotional part of, you know, the whole competition. And right. Everybody deals with things differently too. So you have to know the personalities. And, and again, it's not always that the, the middle or youngest sibling is going to be the, the strongest athlete. We're talking about elite and stuff like that. And we've got, you know, a lot of people that are, uh, you know, just, Regular families having a, an activity that they're going to go out and right. uh, and make the fun thing to be softball. But again, to 
be conscious of how people's emotions are uh, being affected by it. Right. I think is going to at least let you know when to intervene and, you know, try and cut some of that stuff off right. before it gets a little crazy. Yeah. Well, and I think that the challenge is um, for the younger sibling, you, I think that uh, the benefits that they have of knowing they have to surpass or try to surpass their older sibling is something that can be really motivating and could be really positive. But I think that for us as parents and coaches, we have to always kind of remind ourselves to do the best we can of treating each player's development as its as its own thing and not getting caught up so much in the comparison. Um, one of the things that I always curious about when I start working with a younger sister is what the difference is in age. And right now I've got a, a two different situations going on with players that are really talented softball players. Um, the one uh, situation right now, the older sister just finished her senior season, you know, an all-state player, you know, all the awards you can possibly imagine, you know, won a state championship um, on a really, really successful travel team. And then her younger sister is two years younger than her. So she's right in the jet stream. The younger sister is caught up in the, you know, the never ending comparison, you know, so she'll have, and of course the older sister is like valedictorian, you know, superstar student as well as superstar softball player. No pressure. Yeah. And so for the younger one, um, I know she struggles at times because she keeps hearing over and over again, well, you're so-and-so sister. Yeah. You're so-and-so sister. Um, you know, she feels pressure to live up to the same level of expectation, which on one hand I think is is potentially positive because she's working really Motivating. hard yeah. and really motivated. But at this point in time, the difference between where she's at physically and what she's capable of compared to what her sister is just doing and just completed doing, it's a pretty big shadow. And, you know, I, I spend time with her when, when we work. Um, you know, talking about her being the best version of herself because her, her older sister, you know, hits a bunch of home runs and is a big power hitter. And this this girl has not matured as much yet. She's, you know, you know a little physically bit smaller different. frame, yeah. physically different. Yeah. And um, trying to get her to understand that, you know, we still want her to hit the ball as hard as she can. But just because her sister can hit it 260 feet doesn't mean that she should be frustrated that she can't yet. You know, for her, the goal is hitting that line drive that goes through the infield so fast that the infielder's think it was a UFO or something, but you know, she's probably couldn't not even, likely to be hitting it over the fence very often. Couldn't yet. even blink. No, I try and try and encourage our younger ones too when they have that sibling scenario to uh to cheer your older sister on. You know, I try and make light of it with them. Yeah. And cheer your sister on, tell her to set a whole bunch of records so that you can come along and beat them one day. Because after you beat her record, she's not going to be able to go back and <laughs> and get yours. So you get the last laugh, right? Yeah, the, the last thing. laugh thing. And yep. so, but the second situation is there's about a six year difference. So the one is a, uh, the older one is a junior in high school and, and again, had an amazing season and, and is, you know, being heavily recruited. And then the younger one is far enough removed that as she works her way up through the school system, the, the teachers and coaches She'll forget remember about, yeah. the older one, but it's not the, the same intensity, Level. The, the light's not quite as bright. And so I think it's an interesting situation to see how that plays out uh, because in the, with these two families where the two sisters are really close together there's times that I'm a little bit nervous that we could have a Dottie and Kit thing going <laughs> right and for the other family because the distance is a little bit greater the younger one it just like idolizes and and aspires to be and, and dreams of being maybe someday as good as her sister is because she's not hearing the same thing over and over again you know the coaches are not like, oh, yeah, your sister was a great hitter. Oh, your sister was a great you know, pitcher. Your sister was a straight-A student. Wow, she was the best student I ever had. 
kind of stuff is diminished a little bit because it's, it's just enough space in between them. That's way, the tough way to start a, a school session, isn't it? Your, your sister's the best student that we've ever had. Right. Well, and, and <laughs> I think, tough. you know, and again, when it's a two-year difference, I can see yeah. the, the jet stream Too kind fresh. of enveloping you. And I don't know in, in a league of their own how old uh, Dottie is compared to Kit. But I always had the impression from watching the movie that it was just a couple years, right? You know, maybe one or two years difference. You know, I might be uh, a little bit uh, jaded by that experience of watching that movie because I think we've talked about A League of Their Own enough times that you know that uh, when Terry and I would watch that, she would get so mad because she thought Kit was just such a pain, <laughs> you know, and, and you know wanted Kit to fail because she was such an annoying little sister. But then, of course, my wife had a sister who was just a couple years younger sure. and probably had a little bit better softball career and you know and all those kinds of that things and so right. um, but so anyhow uh, for parents and coaches we want you to be paying attention it's you know the idea of the younger sibling can be a really positive thing but we just want to make sure that we're kind of paying attention to it you know letting each kid shine in their own light making sure that uh, we're not casting a shadow from one that's so big that the other one can't get out from under it well, and we're going to talk a little bit here in a minute about, uh, you know, some of the differences in training, right? Yeah. As they well, are unique. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that uh, you know, for, for each player, for us, uh, from a training perspective, coaching perspective, you don't want to try to cast two kids in the same light. Right. You know, and so that younger sister, like in my situation, the younger sister who is a line drive hitter who hasn't, you know, matured into her body yet, you know, helping her work on her game in its own at its level in a right, different way. Right, in its own lane. Yeah. You know, and, and obviously, you know, as, as kids uh, uh, work their way up through the, through the age groups, you know, I think they all experience some of those same challenges. Um, but I think it's, uh, it, it's just it's a really interesting thing for us to, to see. Um, and, and obviously, there's some science behind it, you know, that for sure at the highest level. But I think from my experience and from your experience, too, we've seen enough of the younger sibling benefit they definitely got a chance that, that yeah. they're that they're probably going to have a chance to accomplish some different things. You know, looking at the, um, you know my situation with the, the kids that I'm working with, it's kind of fun, you know, to to see it um, and just try to help uh, guide it along its path to make sure that uh, the the kids all have the experiences that we want them to have. Love it. All right, Don. So that's going to take us to our cleanup topic. Our cleanup topic today. We wanted to talk about body language, and body language is one of those things that uh, again, you know, full disclosure. Uh, looking back over the course of my career, I'm you know, trying to be a reformed, uh, <laughs> a, a changed person. I do it too. Um, I know. And, and, I know. And, uh, you know, because I, I think back to all the times of you know throwing my hands up and stomping around and you know, huffing and puffing and making Sky faces looking. and 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 all that stuff. And and fortunately now I've got uh, my my glasses get dark in the sunshine, so they uh, can't <laughs> see my eyes as much as they used to be able to. The complete expression. Um, yeah, but uh, but trying to work on our body language, you know, and, and it's one of those things that we see it all the time. It uh, works both ways. Right. Yeah. And, and so for us, having that positive body language, carrying ourselves enthusiastically, looking like we want to be there, but being aware of the fact that our body language is speaking way louder than anything we're saying. If I'm you know, all hunched over and frustrated looking while I'm trying to say, come on, Don, you can do it. Uh, sending a pretty, really yeah, pretty yeah. confusing message. So I was guilty as charged. I was maybe the worst ever, um, at least looking back on my, my history. So I'm just going to um, say different times. Yeah, but, yeah. but you know, the, yeah. the, the reality of it is I think I would have been a much more effective coach if I had been paying attention to some of this stuff coming up through the chain. And so I think that's why it's important for us to share this experience totally. with, with our players and, and parents and coaches as they're working their way up because we can avoid some of the same 
downfalls, some of the same pitfalls. But the other place where it's really important for us is, uh, is helping our players understand the importance of their body language. And it's become a topic now that I think has gained some momentum. More and more people are aware of it. More and more people are talking about it. Um, a couple of different times. We want the kids to be aware of it. Right. And yeah. a couple of different times this year, um, you know, we've played different teams where I've heard coaches actually, you know, talking about it. You know, your body language is, is bad right now. You know, you know fix your body language. Um, so I think that more and more people are aware of it. And so I think that's a good thing. And I think the fact that we're becoming more aware um, is, is really positive. I think our job today is to try to make sure that people continue to be aware of it. And so, you know, doing a little self-check. Um, you know, we talked a, a couple of weeks ago about the idea of, uh, from a coaching perspective, having somebody videotape you at a practice once in a while and videotape you at a game once in a while, just so you can kind of check and see. Self-reflection um, there. Right. And, yeah. Because I'll, I'll still catch myself, you know, standing in the uh, coaching box at third base and all of a sudden I can feel myself wanting to, you know, stomp around a little bit, wanting to turn my back, wanting to kick a little, you know, dirt. Kick a little dirt or whatever it might be, catch myself, but I'm not sure in that moment, well, did I catch myself before I did it? Did I start to do it? And I didn't really, you know, notice that I did it. And so I think it's important to, to start to use some of the tools we have to try to make sure that we're not falling into, falling that. into that trap. Yeah. Um, talk about human nature all the time. And if my nature is to be a naturally sarcastic person or a natu- naturally pessimistic person or a naturally negative person, then that's going to show up we really, Im- really clearly. And we can improve. We can right. do better. Yeah. yeah. But I think it comes to, to fruition in our body language. If I'm already you know, starting to you know, be uh, on a negative track, that the very first place that it's going to be obvious is in how you know, my mannerisms, in my facial expressions, in the way I'm standing, in the way I'm walking, all those different kinds of things. And so you know, I just think it's important for us to be aware of it as coaches and then to spend time working with our players to understand the importance of it, the way that it can uh, negatively impact the way they're playing the game, the way they are interacting with their teammates, the way they're interacting with the umpire. Absolutely. So body language is one of those things that we have to definitely make sure we're paying attention to and working to improve. You know, the videotape idea, I would say let's videotape everybody and you know, just watch yourselves a little bit so we can get a feel. Um, you know, video, we're always videotaping games. So, so it should be easy for players to watch themselves and see how they're doing it. So, and I'm just thinking here, Tori, as we're talking about it. Uh, so it kind of sabotages the the confidence of the other players. To, if I'm talking to you and I say, Tori, I, I know you can really do it. And then I kick the dirt and, right. you know, or I, I turn my head and pull away. And even though I've said, hey, Tori, I know that you can do it. The other kids are watching and going, well, does what he says really mean right. what he means, or you know? So that yeah. kind of sabotages, right? Well, the mixed message, the coaching, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the mixed message of if my body language is negative, but my me- verbal message is trying to be positive, it's really confusing. Sure, um, you know, from a player's perspective, if I'm trying to be positive and upbeat, but I'm walking around with my shoulders hunched over and my head down. Mm-hmm. So if I'm walking up to home plate with my head down and my shoulders hunched over. Come on, Don, you can get a hit. Right. Or even, hey, come on, Don, you can get a hit. But my body language doesn't match up with my, my verbal message. My, you yeah. know, uh, it's, it's really hard to, to make sense of it. we got to connect them. Right. And, and I think what really is, is uh, important is that the body language is much more impactful than the language language. How you look when you're saying it is a universal message that everybody reads versus the things that you're saying and how you're saying it. So the energy, you know, if you, if you are projecting some kind of energy with your motion, 
I'm, I get excited. Right. If I see somebody out there and I might go, oh, they're carrying on a little bit extra, but that it energizes me. I think yeah. that's great. Right. Right. Oh, and, and, and all that stuff is part of the message that the we're trying to send. The magic in the mix. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, um, but I think we, we want to just help everybody understand that the body language is something that all of us can improve. I think, you know, whether you're starting from a really negative perspective where I feel like I started many years ago and you're slowly but surely trying to correct it, or you're a young coach or a young player who's just starting to see the value of it. But I see it all the time with kids walking in for lessons. Some of them walk in, you know, they got a spring in their step, Head up. heads up, you yeah. know, a little uh, sparkle in their eyes. And then other kids that are dragging their, you know, their bat bag in like it weighs 400 pounds and like, oh my gosh, you know, and everything is like, oh, poor woe is me. Um, one of the players on the team that I'm coaching right now, we are working on helping her because you know, she's got uh, this uh, never ending, you know, boo boo face, like, sure. like, oh, poor war was me all the time. If she misses a ball, you know, it's like a, a Oscar winning performance the, the end of, of the day <laughs> of how, how, you know, how can she make sure that everybody in the world knows how frustrated and disappointed and angry and, and, and all those things she is histrionics of her motions and her movements and and just how exaggerated it all is, trying to work on helping her control that a little bit because it's it's one of those things that uh, you know we've we, we've talked in the past about how it's it's okay to hold yourself to a high standard, but when your high standard is so unrealistic or so um, detrimental that it leads to the this public display of oh poor role was me, yeah. um, I think that that's it's something we got to keep working on, and that's, so that's it's an challenge. important message. The body language is something that we got all have to work on, and we want to make that a high priority um, for all of us as we're thinking about how it impacts our softball career. So as a coach, so when we see that, Tori, when we see him turn the corner, they might have had a tough day. might have had a lot of activities, you know, at school or whatever, or just finished another workout or practice. And um, for us to identify it and try and help spark or fuel up, um, you know, the energy or the excitement just to get through this next little session that we're going to do, um, I think it's important for us as coaches to try and uh, share, absolutely, you know, and get it done. And so body language, let's fix it. Let's do a better job of it. If, if it's already good, it can still be better. Yep. Um, and let's help our players, especially the young players, start to see that how they carry themselves, you know, all their mannerisms, all their facial expressions, all those things are part of the message that they're sending. And if we want them to be better at it than we might have been, let's start helping them see the value in it now. Awesome. Okay, so our coaching tip of the week, Don, Something that uh, we've talked about a little bit in the past, but I think it's really important. And part of the reason why I think it's important is we have more and more people getting involved in coaching that were players. And it's a really cool thing. And we talked about the whole daddy ball thing. And if dads didn't coach teams, there'd be no travel ball or there'd be no, no softball because dads are the, have been driving it for so long. But we're seeing many, many more former players, uh, moms yeah. that are now getting into coaching because they want to share the experiences that they had as as players and the love that they have for the game and the things that they learned from playing the game with their kids and 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 with the teams that they're going to be coaching. Um, and I think it's true for all people, male or female. But we get in this um, trap of thinking that we have to teach our players to do things the same way that we did them. Right. And so I call it carbon copy coaching. You know, for the younger players that don't know what carbon paper is, um, <laughs> and 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 really can't comprehend what that uh, what that terminology means, it's just trying to duplicate. Tori, there's probably almost some parents that haven't actually experienced much. That carbon. Don't know what carbon paper yeah, is, yeah. yeah. But so the the idea that we have to duplicate, replicate, uh, knock off player after player that looks exactly the same, so they can and Google to me, it. I, yeah, I think that's really a trap that we want to avoid. 
And part of the reason is, you know, whether I was a great player or an average player or whatever, we all start from a point of trying to teach things from the experiences that we had from playing the games or um, the experiences that we've gained from watching other people play. And there's nothing wrong with watching a YouTube video of Sis Bates playing shortstop and thinking, wow, it's amazing how great she is. Wouldn't it be great if I could do that? But whether a player has the capabilities, the physical talent to do the same kinds of things and to train the same exact way is a really challenging question to answer. And so I think it's important for us to, to, to look at from a coaching perspective, making sure that we don't fall into that trap. Well, and I think, too, that everybody's going to get a little bit something different um, from watching something. Right. Uh, some might get a whole lot from the detail of seeing things, and some might have to experience it or, or practice it or, or practice it in multiple different settings and different ways or different drills to uh, get the same level of absorption and, right. and, and benefit. Yeah. yeah. Well, and when we talked about the uh, uh, younger sibling thing a little bit earlier, you know, everybody is so different. And you know, different yeah. player, even players at the same age group, as they work their way up through the, through the ranks, whatever age you're at, not every player on your team, not every player that you're going to work with or every player that you're going to instruct is in the same place. And trying to uh, make every player that you coach look the same, do things the same way, have the same routine, I think is, is a dangerous thing uh, that we, we have to make sure that we're aware of the fact that it's likely to happen. So if, if I'm a player and I was really successful, you know, I was an All-American college player, I was a, you know, a really successful player, common sense would say, well, if I can get all the players I coach to do the same things I did, they're going to have a high level of success. It worked for me. It should work for them too. Sure. No, and again, different body types, different right. strengths and weaknesses, quickness. Yeah, all those things are all a factor. Yeah, and so I think uh, from a coaching perspective, our our challenge is to see each player and and evaluate each player individually, and then try to identify each player's strengths and weaknesses individually. If you've got one player that is you know five foot ten and one hundred and seventy five pounds of muscle, and then you have another player who's five foot two and ninety eight pounds of energy and another player that's five foot nothing and you know 150 pounds <laughs> okay, which one that, have we got yeah that, that all of them are are you know going to have a way different set of possibilities different strengths and weaknesses for where they're at at that time and if we're trying to coach all of them the exact same way we're probably missing the boat a little bit we're limiting yeah limiting some of the success as we look at uh trying to put together our practices trying to put together our training making sure that we're using some flexibility, making sure that we're understanding that we have to have some different drills, some different tools, some different expectations, and maybe a chance to specialize or individualize what we're doing from player to player to make sure that we're maximizing each kid's individual strength instead of trying to impose our will on a, on a situation. Sure. No, and I'm always big on the communication piece and for them to uh, to share how they feel about what was presented to them. You know, would be happy to tell you a different way or try a different drill if, if it didn't make sense or didn't feel proper. Right. Each situation is going to be different from for, for each coach. At the college level, when we had a lot of practices and had chances had to work day. with kids every day, um, one of the things that I would do periodically is match players up to kind of complement each other. So if you were really good at uh, one aspect of hitting and it was a weakness for me, 
that I would match as a coach. I would match the two of us up so that I could try to. You can help me with the outside pitch, and and you could help help me with the inside pitch, right? Um, That kind of thing is a way to help players kind of uh, to treat players individually and allow them you know the space to work on on their weaknesses more appropriate manner. There would be other times that we would set up a drill. So let's say at uh, station one in the hitting circuit, um, we would have drill A, drill B, and drill C. You know, that all could be done with the same equipment. And so for some players, they'd be working on A today because that was their weakness. Other players would be working on C today because that was their weakness. So as you said, somebody might be working on the inside pitch. Somebody else might be working on the outside pitch. Yeah. And, and if you're hearing it from a little different perspective, too, sometimes it clicks. Right. But looking at those different situations where from a coaching aspect, we can start to think about what can I do to help each player fulfill their potential. So instead of we do a 12-station hitting circuit and all 12 drills are exactly the same, if we're in a situation where we can know enough about the players to work on the different things uh, that they need to work on, I think that's really beneficial. Some of it just comes back to our attitude as coaches. If I think that every single player should swing exactly the same way, cookie even cutter, though right, carbon copy, yeah, the, the, the co- cookie cutter—that's another good one. If I'm using that mindset from a coaching perspective, I'm undoubtedly holding some players back or or limiting their ability to grow um, because they're just not capable of doing the same things. And so I think it's a, a valuable lesson for us as coaches to make sure that we're looking at each player for what they can do. We're looking at each player individually and designing things in practice uh, that allow them to work on their weaknesses, but then also to uh, make sure that we're holding them or creating a different atmosphere, different standard for them so that they have a better chance to achieve. Awesome stuff. I love it. All right. So carbon copy coaching, cookie cutter coaching, (laughs) duplicating, uh, Xerox machine, whatever you want to think about coaches. If we're trying to uh, create clones of players and, and photocopies. Yeah, and, uh, cl- clone. That's a good one. Clone. Everybody, everybody's into Star Wars, and well, no, <laughs> Don's not into Star Wars. Um, so they're still uh, making those. Yeah, in, in Mandalorian right now, we're looking at the cloning. So you know, we have to be paying attention to that. So I still got to um, get into that. But we ha- we have to uh, make sure we're avoiding that trap as coaches, and make sure that we're treating each players as individuals and helping them maximize their individual abilities. So. Um, that's going to wrap up episode number 142. We want to make sure you uh, check out our sponsors. So check out Cleat It Up, Next Air, and Elite Sporting Goods. And also make sure you check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. Also, please check out our fastpitchprep.com website and our Facebook page. Stan's been doing a great job of sending out all kinds of really good uh, stuff on social media. Um, check out our Facebook page because there's tons of great information there that will all ultimately lead you back to the uh, fastpitchprep.com website where we've got uh, 600 blogs, videos, recruiting seminar, all kinds of stuff that you want to take advantage of. So Don, anything else for number 142? No, I want to thank our new patrons again. Yeah, um, Jesse Hyatt and Jack Ingram, thank yep, you very much for coming on board. Um, and uh, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, as always, please reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. So for Coach Don, And Stan Lewis, our producer, this is Coach Tori in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio. Stan, thanks for listening to Episode 142, and we'll talk to you again next week. 